Da means breath in Serbo-Croatian. It's also the name of an extraordinary theater company that has made its home in Belgrade, Serbia, then Yugoslavia, since 1991. For both Serbia and Da, the 31 years that have passed since then have been tumultuous, to say the least. During this period, four wars were fought, the country was bombed by NATO, its economy collapsed under international sanctions, Yugoslavia fragmented into five countries, one president, Slobodan Milosevic, went on trial for war crimes and died in jail, and another was assassinated. All during this time, Da Theater somehow managed not only to keep their head above water, but to establish itself as a powerful creative force for justice, equity, and peace in Serbia and beyond. As you can imagine, their story is complicated. In this episode, we'll revisit some of that history and catch up on what they've been up to lately. This is Change the Story, Change the World. My name is Bill Cleveland. Part one, this Babylonian confusion. Our story begins in the fall of 2004. Sun tickles my crusted left eye, signaling morning. I feel like I've been taken hostage and stuffed into the trunk of a Volkswagen bug. As I lift my head up from the broken tray table in my lap, I remember where the heck I am. Let's see, Seattle to Amsterdam to Zurich to Belgrade. 18 hours of travel on two chicken dinners, one lukewarm wash rag, and three hours sleep. I look at my watch. It's 1 a.m. in Seattle as I feel the 20-passenger turboprop bounce once, then twice on the tarmac in Belgrade, Serbia. After I sleepwalk through multiple security and customs checks, Da Theater actress Sonja Tasik is there to meet me. She tells me, in these parts, it's 9 a.m. I'm barely awake, but we are late for a rehearsal. The city is a blur as we speed over the Danube into the heart of Belgrade. Sonia is one of four actresses, two directors, two interns, a musician, and a scenologist who comprise the Da Theater Research Center for Culture and Social Change. Careening through the old city, she discusses her work, the current political climate, the curse of slow drivers, the state of theater in Serbia, and the history of Da, which I am there to document for a book in progress called Art and Upheaval. She's been with Da for the past eight years, which she says makes her the newcomer. Da's birth 13 years earlier took place on the eve of a decade-long civil war that turned Yugoslavia from one of communism's most civilized bastions into its most balkanized and traumatized remnant. Distancing themselves from their classical training, rookie co-directors Diana Milosevic and Jadrenka Angelic had founded a new company based on Odin Theater director Eugenio Barba's idea of the third theater a theater born of whatever material resources are at hand and engendered by relationships both within the company and with the community. But the onset of war changed everything. It jolted Diana and Jadrenka out of the rarefied realm of abstracted and archetypical studio-based work into a chaotic universe of brutality, betrayal, and the street. Within weeks, Da's co-directors auditioned actors 
and created a Barba-influenced street performance challenging the official government position that the war in Bosnia did not exist. This bold and some would say dangerous act was the first of many in Da's perilous and adventurous journey. This excerpt from Art and Upheaval describes how that extraordinary performance of This Babylonian Confusion unfolded on the Square of the Republic in Belgrade, Yugoslavia on July 20th, 1992. The afternoon is steamy. The hot concrete on the Square of the Republic is thick with workers intent on their journey home. Diana and Jadrenka shuffle back and forth in the art gallery on the edge of the square, watching the rushing river of people through the windows. Arms crossed, staring out into the square, they try not to look like novice theater directors waiting for their first curtain. But this is impossible. There is no curtain, and they are literally sweating with worry and fear. What did they think they were doing? Years of training for the stage, only to debut here on the street in the middle of rush hour, bearing witness to an epidemic of not knowing, speaking words that have been disappeared, forgotten. They had all agreed this performance was unavoidable. The war that does not exist is destroying their country. The Bosnian, Serbian, Croatian men who are not being pulled from their beds in the middle of the night never to return can no longer be ignored. The cries of children who are not being cleansed from the cradle of their homelands must be heard. The mothers with no tears cannot remain invisible. In this interminable year of these things not happening, the noxious cloud of denial has obscured the Serbian sun. Someone must speak. It is time. The actors shed the coats that cover their black costumes and golden wings. One by one, they begin the action, first in the gallery and then stepping purposefully into the square. Solo journeys merge and break apart, then merge again. The surging crowd changes course to avoid the black forms moving against and across the flow. A few slow, glancing haltingly at the incongruous wings springing back and forth on the crude harnesses attached to the actor's back. Slowly, one of the actors, Maja Mitik, begins singing the lyrics culled from Bertolt Brecht's anti-war songs. In the dark times, Will there be singing in the dark times? Yes, there will be singing about the dark times. The sun's last golden glow mingles with the glint of streetlights. Jadranka holds her breath as the angels maintain their circuitous journey across the square to the empty fountain at the center. The singing continues. When evil doing comes like falling rain, nobody calls out, stop. When crimes begin to pile up, they become invisible. When sufferings become unendurable, the cries are no longer heard. The cries, too, fall like rain in the summer. The actors move more intensely, trading lines that ring out across the square. Though Breck's lyrics are 60 years removed, they're shocking to hear. 
When the leaders speak of peace, the common folk know that war is coming. When the leaders curse war, the mobilization order is already written out. There's no mistaking what's being said here. This romance of blood and soil is an obscenity. With each passing line, the ugliness of the war is materializing in the square, and now, as more people stop and cluster, the congregation of angels is accorded the space they need to complete their mission. Diana scans the crowd. There are people in suits, mothers and children, students with their book bags, and yes, men in uniforms. Slowly, it dawns on her that there are soldiers everywhere watching the action, glancing nervously at each other, cradling their weapons. She feels like an acrophobic on the edge of a cliff, anticipating the gust of wind that will tip the balance one way or another. She is both exhilarated and terrified by the danger that this performance will come to a premature conclusion. But as the actors continue, nobody moves. They're all listening. Part two, same as it ever was. It's been 30 years since that performance and 13 since my time in Belgrade listening and learning from the amazing women who comprise the Da family. It would be an understatement to say that Da has always been out in front in their work as a theater company. This is because they are much more than, well, a theater company. It would be more accurate to say that, true to their full name, Da is a social change research collective fueled by theater. Given this and the times we're living in, it seemed like a good time to check in on Da to see what they've been up to. So in May of 2022, I had a digital long-distance sit-down with DA co-founder Diana Milosevic to catch up. So, Diana, I'd like to start by going back in history a bit, if you don't mind. As I reflect on it, the period of time that is covered in the book has often been described as the dark time. But then you transitioned into a different time, which wasn't a fairy tale shift. Mm -hmm. I know things have been equally challenging. So could you take me from where we left off to where we are now? Wow, <laughs> what a journey. <laughs> yeah. Speaking about the country, it was a huge shift from the pull of Milosevic's government. And then it was like a brief period of hope until... 2003, we had a democratically elected prime minister and government, and it all started to look like a big new phase and the opening and the hope was there. And unfortunately, the prime minister got assassinated. We know who were the perpetrators, but until this day, we don't officially know who basically ordered the assassination we never heard. And so I think from that time until today, that country is, I can describe it as uh, with the topic of our old show, the story of tea. It's about missing chances, missing trains. It was inspired by three sisters by Chekhov and they're sitting somewhere in province and they are speaking about how to catch that train for Moscow. 
which is the capital, and they never go there. And I think this is exactly a metaphor for Serbia, what happened. And somehow we really didn't catch that train for progress, for um, even joining the European Union. There, it's a big talk about that all the time. It's like a carrot in the distance. The government is basically forcing the narrative that we should become the part of the European Union, not because of the values, but because of economy. And so it's like very problematic narrative. So from that time to until today, we had the couple of changes in the government. And unfortunately for the last, I can say 10 years, it's a very difficult time. It's a big government that basically is run and led by the party. Uh, whose president was a very dark figure during Milosevic's time, very right-oriented. So country is struggling with lots of issues. One of the biggest issues right now is that we are actually understanding that country was sold out to like big corporations and some big players, like famous Rio Tinto, for example, and so on. So am I right? Rio Tinto is a big Anglo-Australian multinational mining company that has a pretty long record of environmental damage and cultural desecration. Are these the kinds of things people are concerned about? Yes. So that country is literally like on sale and that air and water and everything is so polluted. So the let's say if we can speak about the good side of it is that at least people woke up and it's a huge Move, green movement, that people are literally fighting for the right to breathe clean air. As this Reuters news report indicates, in January of 2022, this growing movement struck a telling blow in favor of Serbia's fragile environment. Serbia's controversial lithium mine project is suspended for the moment. The Anglo-Australian mining giant Rio Tinto announced that it was pushing back its operation in the country by at least a year. Serbian Prime Minister Anna Brnabic said the lithium project would be cancelled. This is a victory for the crowds of protesters that have been blocking roads in Serbia over weekends since November. Many feared the mining project would inflict long-lasting ecological damage to rivers and farmland in the region. So lots of struggles, lots of challenges. Also media are completely controlled again. Censorship is huge and so on. So it's not a very nice situation. What I can say is because also there is this uh, recent situation with Russia and the Serbia that doesn't want to take the side. And so, again, we are having this situation that we might be facing sanctions and from EU and the world. And my, my actress, Ivana, she asked me the other day, she was like, wow, I can't believe that we're going to get the sanctions. And I said, Look, the only good side to live through the very dark times is that you have that inexperience you're going to survive. Because she's 20 years younger than myself, and she was a child when we had the first sanctions. And they said what we did was we did theater, and like we worked, and we were fine. So you're going to do the same, I hope. I absolutely condemn the war on Ukraine and absolutely do not agree with what is happening over there and all of that. But so it's very complex issue about sanctions. When I was last with you, you were in a new space in the school, in the yes, salt yes. factory. And I'm wondering, are you still in that space? 
We moved. It's like our destiny. We started as a nomad theater. It was a very challenging to stay in that space for two reasons. One was economical because we are not on any budget by the city or by the government. For the last couple of years, we are getting some funds from the Ministry of Culture, which is a little bit easier. But still, it covers maybe a fifth of our expenses. And so economically, it was really very difficult to maintain the space because whatever we earned, we had to put into space and it was no money for the people, for us. So it created tangents and difficult relationships between us. Another reason was political because we are very openly all the time against the government. And we are very open with our views. We are not the members of any party. We are very openly supporting women in black. And they are really have very, very bad image with the nationalists and the government and so on. And while we consider them as the bravest and the most amazing activist feminist group. And because of all of that, eventually we had to rule. We went to another venue, we were there for a while, and then again we had to move out. And then we concluded that, in fact, what is the situation now is we do have an office, which is very nice, and then we use some space for rehearsals, and then we go and perform at different venues and spots. And the good side of that is that, in a way, we opened uh, up to the city more. Like, we started to perform in the Museum of Modern Art, for example, or some other venues that we never performed. So we started to get new audience in a way. Of course, downside is that it's uh, beautiful to have your own space. Then we can work according to our schedules. It is great to have rehearsal studio and so on. But we realized we really need somehow to change the whole structure in order to survive economically. And so now what we are planning is maybe next three to four years to get again the space, but to try to put it on much more solid economical legs, let's say. So how has the company evolved in this new economic and political environment? I can speak about two aspects. One is, as they already said, the structure of the, the company changed much more than the work itself. Because we realized from ensemble-based theater group, we need to invest more in managerial administration side. And that we cannot survive with ensemble of actors that would do only administration side. We were always doing it. So we needed to have some people who would be working just as financial manager, organizer, and so on. So now it's interesting because we started as a very small core group of three women and then we are now eight women. We call it the core of that and then we have the circles of collaborators, beat actors, musicians, other artists, other collaborators, so on. And so it, it, for now it functions very well. And also we started to be much more horizontally organized because before... It was more like this traditional pyramid, like with myself being the leader and then people that were having, of course, different roles and so on. And then slowly we evolved into a very horizontal collective that I actually love. And I think this is really the right thing that we are really trying to collaborate and to be responsible equally for all parts. 
So in that sense, I think it's a very happy change. It came after a big earthquake when all the members left or away or were asked to leave and different things. And as in any group or any organization, it was a painful process, but it brought a lot of good things to, to us and to them. Part three, on the bus. But since then, I know you haven't been idle, and I know you've got a lot of things on the table. So how have these changes impacted the kinds of stories you tell and how you tell them? We are preparing for the trip to Amsterdam on Saturday because we are performing in the frame of one European project, and I'm doing my lecture performance, 25 glasses of wine. And uh, my colleague, Yadranka Angeli, she goes with her show that she directed. So she's now back at DACH. So you might remember that DACH was co-founded by myself and herself. Then she was for some years away. And then for the last two years or so, she's back in Belgrade and, of course, naturally being with us. So now there are two directors. Speaking about work itself, we're always doing well in relation to what really obsessed us. So that didn't change. I could say we always work out of the need to explore certain topics, to face certain challenge, speak truth to the power. And so, again, these are the topics that are related to what we are interested in, not what would be handy because of the finances, but what we are really burning about. In that sense, it's the same, but of course, topics change. So it's not so much about the war and the experiences of women in the wars. So then we did, for example, Invisible City, the performance in the public bus. It's still ongoing from 2005 until today. We are still doing it all around Serbia and the Europe and the world. Or the last show that deals with the importance of the trees, dancing trees against the against the end uh, of the tree, the one. Could you describe the bus work, how that came to be, the story it tells? Yeah. Yes, it all started uh, out of one, uh, as I said, burning uh, wound to address the fact that we were raised and grew up in old Yugoslavia that was ethnically and nationally very diverse, and we always consider it as a big region. And we were living in three religions, many nationalities, our culture and our cities and places were made by people coming from all around the world. And Balkan itself, it's the crossroad here from all around. And we were always proud because of that. And then because of the war and prevailing nationalistic narrative, Suddenly, we started to be in Serbia after Yugoslavia split. We started to have this official narrative that was extremely xenophobic and nationalistic. And suddenly, it was the talk about the purity of Serbian nation, purity of language. Yeah, of course, we have echoes of that as well here in the land of the free. How do you speak to that in your work? We were like, come on, our language is influenced by all possible languages. For 500 years under the Turkish Empire, we had the people coming from Germany, Hungary, Roma people. Our language is beautiful because it's so rich because of all these things. 
And so we said we need to address that. And because we are the generation that remembers the richness of that situation. And then uh, we, were, we started to think how to create the project. And then directly Adrenka got the idea to put it in the bus because the bus uh, could go for the city and we shall explore the stories of the neighborhood their buses are passing through from that point of view. So we would be searching, for example, in Belgrade, if we are passing for the Jewish neighborhood, we created the scene with the dances and the food from the Jewish community. In the Roma neighborhood, we had the legend how the Roma came to the world. We passed the parliament. We had the declaration of human rights told in 12 different languages by actors. And it was done for the ordinary passengers, not for invited audience but for the ordinary passengers who would enter into the bus and leave at their stops. Very often, passengers would miss their stops because they wanted to remain until the end. Here's a bright-eyed seven-year-old girl sharing the questions posed by Invisible City from a film documenting the project. Imagine a city where all people can live together. Imagine a city where all people can dance together. Imagine a city where all people can sing together. And the project is really wonderful because obviously for each city we need to create a new scenario, but I call it the structure, the skeleton of scenario was always the same because we picked up specific stories for that city or that town and to stay in the past, to do it in the past. But then we always had the Declaration of Human Rights, we always had the rap song about foreign words. In our language, we had the quiz, for example, where we would be asking tricky questions like passengers about that city, that place, and so on, because many of our people would believe that, for example, certain politician was a Serb, and he was like the symbol of Serbia, and he was not, and things like that. Yeah, as I recall, Milosevic was a master of distorting history. Once again, unfortunately, this is becoming a part of our American story. Now, you mentioned taking the bus show to other countries where some of these forces are rising up as well. How did that come about? Uh, We started to have donors that started to approach us and people wanted that project. So we did it, as I said, in the frame of the European project in Serbia. And then we were the first organization in Serbia who got EU funding, Creative Europe, for that. And we did it in collaboration with uh, four other countries. So we started to do Invisible City in the buses in uh, Norway, in uh, England, in the train in Denmark, in Italy, Sardinia, and so on. And so uh, from time to time, we had invitation and we repeated. And we covered lots of places in Serbia, but also internationally. Here is prodigal theater actor Ignacio Hjarquin describing the Invisible City bus in Brighton, England. After the project in, in, in Skopje, in Macedonia, we were preparing, we have been preparing this, this uh, leg of the, 
project in Brighton and we are very very happy to receive you know people from Serbia and Macedonia and from uh, Denmark and from France as well and it's very touching my dear old mother said to me and yes there was one tactic that we chose we said we are going to speak about positive stories, positive experience. Because obviously we could have found many tragic and dark and sad stories about all these people. But what we really wanted was to put the light on the fact what was great, what is great about having this variety of uh, ethnic groups, the nation, so on. Underneath the current, you know, it has a lot of invisible things, you know, that you don't need to scratch very much in the surface and you find them, you know, uh, different tribes, different people. And then it started to be actually something that was uh, very relevant for the rest of the Europe and the world because migrant crisis started and suddenly they realized that the Europe is very xenophobic and that European countries really need to remember that there is no one country that was actually not made up by people coming from different sides and very often influencing it greatly, changing the course of history. And, and this is how it continues. So then we had this break because of COVID, because we couldn't perform in the past, because it's very tight. We are performing literally in between the passengers, but then we hope that you're going to start to, to do it again. So it has become a regular ongoing practice. It's a process that you go through to engage people with their stories and remind them of the ecosystem Absolutely. that we all live in. Yes. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Do you Thank still you. do training for people who come to visit? Yes, we also, we do it in different forms. We didn't have the international school for the last two years again because of COVID. But we started also to do something that is called laboratory that we still keep doing. And we are doing like the shorter number of days with interested groups of students or theater groups and so on. So we have some regular collaboration with Professor Dennis Burnett at Coy College. In Iowa, he's coming every year and he's coming this year with his students. We developed this kind of collaboration with some other universities and colleges from the world. And so maybe next year we are going to do the international school again, live, hopefully. And we do the workshops, we have seminars, we have lots of this education side is also very important. Part four, dancing trees, dancing. In 2021, Da joined the global anti-deforestation movement through a project called Dancing Trees. Through this effort, they explored how artists can help their fellow humans navigate the tenuous and delicate space between indifference and despair in the face of the climate crisis. Their approach has been to literally make a performance that engages the forest as a member of the ensemble and by extension as a member of the broader community. I asked if environmental issues had become a major focus for DA. Yeah, absolutely, because in Belgrade and in Serbia, we are witnessing this enormous cutting of the trees. I mean, not planned, 
or the profit, you know, because like city authorities would uh, cut the trees to make a shopping room or to build garage and so on. And it started to be really massive. I grew up surrounded by trees. When I was born, one tree was the poplar tree was actually uh, planted. And I grew up with the tree. And I really always felt the trees as uh, living beings. And then that led me to finding that actually in some constitutions of some countries, the trees are already recognized as sentient living beings. And that there are plans also for in some other countries to do the same. And that then it led me to the, this amazing book, The Secret Life of the Trees by Peter Volleben, that I highly recommend. And then I was fascinated because it was scientific approach. Because for us artists, we always valued the meaning of the trees in the literature and poetry and the arts. And I knew so many symbols and connections with the trees in different cultures and histories. But it was very interesting to hear it from the top scientist. That he, he, Peter Walben is an engineer, and he approached this topic from scientific point of view, proving that trees are not only sentient living beings, but they live in uh, communities, they communicate between each other, that it's uh, an internet before internet because of the system of the roots and fungi. And then it, then Yadrenka joined the project, and so we started to research together because it was college time, so we couldn't rehearse, so we really started to do the lots of exploration, and then we started to be the part of ITAC. I really, I-T-A-C, I really recommend it. It's the international network of teaching artists, and we got a grant from them to develop the project, and the main topic was how can artists address climate change? And in the process, we learned that actually the cutting of the trees is one of the biggest causes of the unwanted climate changes. And then through them, we met another experts and scientists and learned that literally make it simple. If there are no trees, there are no us. And it's better to be aware because we found so many things that trees are responsible for that mean life to us. I know you made this performance where the trees were, in a sense, collaborators. So could you describe what this means and how that came about? So we decided from the beginning that it will be site-specific, that it will be performed in one of the central city parks, Student Park. We had the three dancers and four actors, but we were like not doing like actors were acting, dancers were dancing, but they were all together performing with the trees. We had seven performers and then in that park, it was almost like plateau with exactly seven trees, huge, beautiful trees. It's really incredible. It's like they're greeting us when we come to perform there. People were actually very touched. We premiered it last October, but now just last week, we started to perform it again because we had to wait for the better weather. So the trees are become part of your company. Wow. And actually, one of the difficult things about this creeping tragedy of climate change is that for many people, it's invisible or unreal or hard to put their arms around. And so in the process of your performance, are you introducing people to the sentientness 
of the tree as one of our fellow living systems that we depend on? Absolutely. From the very beginning, I knew that we didn't want to, to fall into any trap. Like we are now acting trees. We are being trees. I was like, no, or we are like tree people. From the beginning, I was saying that we need to be with the tree. And that let's see what will happen in that interaction. And then also, we needed to solve the formal technical problem. How to use the text in the open park in city center. And the audience would not hear the text. And so what we did was that in two moments of the show, performers literally come into the audience and talk to them personally. So there are seven performers and they divide audience into seven groups and they talk. And the first group of stories is linked with what was happening with the trees here to make people aware of the felling and what the government did. And we had then the cold, sad manual for cutting the tree. So you need these tools and then you break and then you cut and then you take the root and then like it's about really killing and hurting. So when you get to the, all these stories and you connect to the trees and then people started to realize that it's almost like a homicide, but it's like just how we say, arbor side. And people really don't know that there are trees that are old 5,000 years. Can you imagine the being that exists for 5,000 years? Or that the average life of the ordinary tree could be 500 years. And can you imagine the trees who have the memory? Here's an excerpt from a score composed for dancing trees. She is singing, I don't believe trees stand still in solitude during the night. Another group of the stories is connected to what is the um, meaning of the trees, what are they useful for, are trees so important, and so on. We had beautiful composed music almost all the time. We had a beautiful poem by a Brazilian poet who wrote about how trees make love, actually. We did two documentary movies about the project, and the movie of the show and if you go to our website, you will find the dancing tree. Something that rises up for me in describing these two projects is what I would say is a continuation and even increase in the intimacy that you have with your audiences. Yeah. So in the bus, you are with people and being outdoors with the trees. You really do have little groups engaging the large and long history of these living things in a way that it's not abstract, it's not sitting in a, in, in a theater, it is being with them. So do you see that as a through line for all of your work, an attempt to be with people as the trees are part of your company, maybe the audience is part of your company as well? Yeah, you said it very nicely. More, uh, more excited about site-specific places to perform at and really to be with the audience and community than a classical stage 
although sometimes we also create work for the classical so-called Italian stage. But when you said this, actually it's totally true that we achieved almost a bigger level of uh, closeness to our audiences because in the previous show, The Conundrum of the Revolution, we were creating the show in the venue that is almost like a little bit bigger apartment. And we are dealing with the questions of revolution and the parallel histories and the fact that actually we never know what is the truth and that we need to read in between. And so we had the characters of revolutionaries. And because of the topic, my idea was to split the audience. We have it in the one space for 49 people. So still very close. And then we split it in two rooms. So we create revolutionary cells. And so it created super intimate contact with the audience. Suddenly you are in the room in your apartment and that was great. You're still performing it. So this is something that was important. Part five, the dangerous story of us and them. Tiana's description of revolutionary tales being spun in living rooms reminded me of the wedding community play in Northern Ireland that was produced during the time of the Troubles. This, along with Da Theater, was one of the stories we shared in Art and Upheaval. The Crust Community Theater artists in Belfast also understood the power of locating theater in the heart of a story's essential birthplace. In this case, in Protestant and Catholic houses and moving the audience around to the kitchens and living rooms where the stories were bubbling up. I must say, it's a very powerful thing. This again brought to mind the terrible story unfolding 600 miles northeast of Belgrade in Ukraine. Given the history that you have lived through and the history that is taking place nearby in Ukraine, I'm wondering how that is affecting your work and if you have connections and relationships with people there who are basically trying to do the same thing you've been doing for your whole career. We only knew one person when we both got the award for innovation last fall. She got it for the work with volunteers in Ukraine and we got it for Dancing Trees and we went to Austria for that award. And when the war in Ukraine started, we reached out to her and asked, can we help somehow? And she said she was living close to the nuclear plant. And she said that she was, yeah, that she decided to stay there and to cook for their Ukraine soldiers. So we tried, so we offered, can we help somehow? But then... We lost contact, so we don't know what's happening. Other than that, here in Serbia, of course, we are with the women in black that are condemning the war and being on the streets and having actions and so on. So this is something that could be done because there is a big Russian-Ukrainian community here that are against the war. But what is the problem here? There is a big community of Serbs that are for Putin, and it's complex, and they're saying... That when United States supports the wars, nobody hears about that. And now that there are different criteria, Russia is involved. So people are very bitter about all of that. What is the world community doing? I can understand that point completely, but it doesn't erase the fact that it's terrible, terrible, unjust war. This is what we speak about, what theater could do, sustain contradiction that even we could be 
completely against the war. We could completely be against this policy that uh, puts now one country in total focus while forgetting the others that are also in conflict. Another side is also this anti-Russian hysteria that is going on around the world and in the United States that is completely not just. I'm very sensitive to that because we were in our country against dictator and dictatorship. And then when we travel, we would be condemned because we were Serbs. And so there are many Russians having the same situation. They flee the country. They were against the government, but then they could not get an Airbnb because they are Russians. They could not get gigs because they are Russians and so on. So this is something that we are talking about. We're just waiting to see what could be done. Because I believe it's important to understand how can we really help. What you've just described as both a potential for theater and a condition that a theater addresses, which is the extraordinary impulse by humans to simplify the yeah, world. And so we live in a world with many contradictory impulses. And humans have the capacity to deal with ambiguity, but we fight against it. And so this simplification that some group of people are universally the devil. And like you said, all those stories that exist when you go through the neighborhoods in the bus, there are cross currents, there are moments of tragedy, moments of celebration. Exactly. We all, in a sense, own the crossroads of these stories. And if we can't embrace this complexity, we're going to end up dividing the world again and again into the good guys and the bad guys. <laughs> Absolutely. This is what is happening right now. And I think it's so dangerous, so dangerous. One of the things I wanted to ask you is you have this extraordinary arc of history that you've lived through in which you have applied an amazingly disciplined, creative process that, um, that interrogates and explores and experiments and asks questions. So what have you learned about your work and its place in a society? Yeah, it's a good question. Something that I quote very often is from your book, from the forwards, Larissa Bicolaste. It really stayed with me. There is the part when she said that after the conflicts, when all was done to help to the people, like legal matters and psychological help and socio sociological help, that healing started only when the spiritual side was involved and the most often through art. And this is something that really stayed with me. And it's, it's amazing. It's true. This is what I experienced. Because I think that this is our place in society to offer that space for healing or for the beginning of the healing, for simply creating the space where we can be together in our differences and contradictions. For example, in Dancing Trees, we are speaking about what certain companies or officials did to the trees, but we are not separating communities because they are also the members. So performers are inviting literally all audience to come to the trees and to surround the, the trees. So then we create seven groups around seven trees. And sometimes it's 30 
or, or to your people around one tree. And it creates incredible feel. People start to hug the trees and then and nobody asks them to hug the tree. And so they start to hug each other, they start to hold the hands and so on. And so in that sense, I think we created the space where people could be together and share what is important. Here's some members of the Dancing Trees audience reflecting on the impact. You know, science sometimes speaks in codes. Art can bring people closer so that they feel it is their problem and then act. These climate issues are critical because what do we leave for the future? What we saw in this play, which is very moving, is the legacy for our children. You know, for most of my life, I've been obsessed with this thing that humans do, which is make story. I don't think we can help ourselves. We're always going to make a story. And one of the things that I feel like you have dedicated yourself to over many years is to examine the story in a way that doesn't pander to the obvious need for simplicity. But one of the things that's interesting to me is that you're there, you're with the trees, and you're delivering a hard reality, which is these beautiful things are vulnerable and they're under threat. And there are forces at hand that don't care and have profit in mind. But it is a nurturing space for both mourning and connecting exactly. around exactly. a hard question to confront. Exactly. I feel really strongly that we need these zones where we can hold those contradictory stories, tragedy and celebration in the same space. Yeah. Because yeah. if it's all if it's all tragedy, we're going to be depressed. If it's all celebration, we're just going to have a party. And those things are intrinsically connected. So will dancing trees take place in other forests and other places? Is the road opening up again for Da? Absolutely. This is what is happening. We plan also when we tour internationally to involve local artists to join us and to share local stories. So that's also important because in this first group of stories that we share, to the, that we speak to the spectators directly, it should be really the local stories. We are also involved in the several EU projects supported by our program Creative Europe or Erasmus Plus. So we are partners in many projects and all really great topics from educating the teachers how to work with pupils with the topic of the gender-based violence. This is a Digony project to how to work with the migrants who want to continue to work in the arts and topics like that. So we started to travel again. For us, the touring is very important part of the existence. It really is. I've talked about when you were in the closet of the former Yugoslavia the, in, as the wars were going on, how stifling it was not to be connected to your colleagues out Absolutely. in the world. Yeah, it's very important to connect now live because of COVID and because of being separate physically from each other. I think it's more important than ever to get together again, just to overcome the fear. No, and... Uh, 
theater is not a digital <laughs> art form. <laughs> theater is a community. Exactly. And if that's not happening, it's natural. People's minds wander. They do not drink all of the elixir when they're separate. Yeah. And digital makes it very difficult. Actually, I, here's a final question. One of the conditions of being an American is being world blind. When I speak with people from other parts of the world, one of the questions I ask is, given how much impact we can have without even thinking, what would you say to your fellow artists here that we should be thinking about or seeing as we try to be creators in service to a better world? What I could say, knowing United States and really loving it and also criticizing it a lot as the country, that is very complex and challenging and beautiful and tragic in many ways. But I can say what I just said. I would say to fellow artists, try really to travel, Tra go away from United States. It completely shifts perspective. And even if it looks difficult, there is always the way. If we manage to travel during the embargo and sanctions, the 90s, I think anyone travel. Mm -hmm. And then, and I would say, uh, try to at least a little bit learn another language. Learning another language is learning another way of thinking. Yes. And it's, so I think it's so important. It's uh, another perspective or uh, understanding another culture. As my very dear friend, beautiful actress, uh, musician, Kathy Randalls from New Orleans. Yes. And yes. she said, I didn't understand what does it mean, the bombing of the country, until I walked under the bridge in Novi Sad, and then it was later bombed. As Kathy Randall says, sometimes it takes being under the bridge that was bombed to understand the power of its story. But sometimes we have no choice but to engage our imaginations to that same end. So... Imagine needing to cancel your dance class for kids due to local bombing. Or being told by your supposed allies that despite the unintended casualties, it was for your own good. This was the bizarre reality of life in Serbia for the members of DA and their neighbors in the spring of 1999 when NATO bombers dropped over 1,000 bombs on their country in an effort to force Yugoslavian President Slobodan Milosevic's hand during the war in Kosovo. When he eventually capitulated, the terror that rained down on those little dance students and their parents and families all across Serbia was deemed strategically successful and then quickly forgotten by the generals and their countrymen and women who watched it all on TV. The ripples, though, remain in Serbia and other places across the world unfortunate enough to live in the strategic crosshair lands where success is not so easily defined. This is the ambiguous and contradictory landscape that Da Theater was built to traverse. By any measure, it has been a hard journey. But if you ask them, they will tell you that they never had a choice. From the moment of those first fearful steps into the square of the Republic in 1992, they have used their art to explore the fraught lands of human cruelty, frailty, and compassion, and reported back. It's been an immense gift. Another gift that we have been receiving for the past two years has been the time you spent with us sharing these stories. So as we come to the end of another episode, We'd like to thank you again for listening 
and the extra effort some of you have made to share our stories with your friends and colleagues. To that end, we'd also like to remind you about our new Change the Story collection. This new feature is our response to listeners who told us that they'd like to dig deeper into Art and Change episodes that focus on specific issues like justice arts, cultural organizing, theater for change, or children and youth. If this interests you, please check it out at www.artandcommunity.com. That's www.artandcommunity.com under the podcast dropdown or click the link in our show notes. Change the Story, Change the World is a production of the Center for the Study of Art and Community. It's written and hosted by me, Bill Cleveland, and our theme and soundscape are by the fantabulous Judy Munson. Our editing is by Andre Nebe. Our special effects come from freesound.com, and our inspiration rises up from the mysterious but ever-present presence of Uke 235. Until next time, please stay well, do good, and spread the good word. Music